we use multiple approaches in AI to solve the sense think set of problems that a robot needs to do in order to tackle very complex problems. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 173. Today, we're talking about leveraging robotics in an unstructured world. Our guest this week is Michael Patrick Perry, the Vice President of Marketing at Dexterity and an alumni of Manufacturing Happy Hour from long ago. He first appeared way back in episode 55, shortly before making the jump to Dexterity. We'll get into that as the interview gets going. But so you have some context for where he is now, Dexterity is a leader in robotic warehouse automation for manufacturing, logistics, supply chain, and retail. And here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll discuss what it takes for a robotics company to scale. Since Michael's been on the show before, we'll revisit some topics we've discussed in the past, and that created a great conversation about what scaling looks like from the perspective of technology as well as the size of a team. Second, halfway through, we talk about marketing and branding. That's Michael's area of focus, so there's some good tips for the marketing crowd listening today. Finally, throughout the conversation, we talk about dexterity and how robotics continues to evolve. Lots of focus on software and some on AI and the applications that both are enabling. As always, if you want to learn more, check out the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 173. Also, I've got one quick announcement before we jump into the interview today, and it's relevant to this conversation. Automate 2024 is coming up on May 6th through 9th, 2024. If you want to register for that, Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2024. It's in Chicago, Illinois at the McCormick Place. And A3, the Association for Advancing Automation, and everyone in attendance, every exhibitor is going to be taken over this place. It's going to be the biggest conference yet. More topics, more sessions, more education. We're talking 360,000 square feet, over 800 exhibitors, 30,000 registrants. It's going to be a good time. And you can also... Book a slot at Automate Live if you've wanted to appear on Manufacturing Happy Hour, if you've wanted to get your company on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Well, hey, I'm going to be part of the interview team over there. You know my friend Jake Hall, the Manufacturing Millennial. He's going to be there as well. We're going to be leading interviews all week long at Automate 2024. And honestly, that's where I have kept in touch with Michael, today's guests over the years. It's one of my biggest communities in the manufacturing space. The A3 community is unlike any other. So, hey, it's a spot where you can get plugged in with other leaders like the ones that appear on this show. Anyway, catch us in Chicago, Illinois, May 6th through 9th, 2024. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2024 to register today. Anyway, folks, it's been well over 100 episodes since this guy has been on the show, so I think it's time to catch up with our old friend, Michael Patrick Perry. Cheers. Cheers, manufacturing coffee chat. It's another type of brew. Mm-hmm. 
it counts. It's uh, it would be hard to do every interview over beer with the frequency that I'm doing interviews now, especially now that you are a third time guest of this. Oh wow! Yeah, with all the people I interview for the first time, second time, it's uh, you can imagine it would stack up. That would be a lot of beer. What happens when I join the five timers club? Who? I don't think I've gotten there yet. Actually, I need to make a. Uh... We'll come up with a good celebration for it. All right. I would say your three-time celebration, though, will be our party at Bear Bottle. Tomorrow, it'll be long in the rearview mirror after this recording comes <laughs> out, but we're recording this on Tuesday, January 9th. Um, but we are throwing a nice little shindig here in the Bay Area tomorrow at Bear Bottle Brewing, one of my longtime favorite breweries before. I know it's we're down here in Redwood City, which is about, I don't know, 30 minutes south of San Francisco. Have you been to Bear Bottle before? I've not, but when my colleagues saw that that's where we were holding it, mm-hmm. they said, great spot. Yes. And that shouldn't surprise yeah. me. Sure. But, you sure. know. Well, there's it's it's a good size. It can hold a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, obviously, I do love beer, and I kind of started all my podcasting and beer-oriented podcasting when I was out here in the Bay Area, so... It'll be fun to to get back to an old favorite. And it's funny, I was I was listening to your old episodes as I was getting ready for this. I can never remember the name of the brewery you suggested in the first one because it's Mighty Squirrel. Mighty outs- Squirrel. Mighty Squirrel outside of Boston. But I'm always like, is it Mad Squirrel? Is it Barking Squirrel? Like I go through all of those. I don't know why I think Mad Squirrel. There was a band when I was in high school called Narcoleptic Barking Squirrel. So I know why that one confuses me. Wow. Okay. That's a great high school band name, by the way. (laughs) Just like throw a bunch of crazy words together and uh, throw an animal in there. Anyway, we are off topic. We're here to talk about you. We're here to talk about dexterity. And in the spirit of having a a good meaty conversation over a beverage, I want to go back to something we talked about in the past. Because I've interviewed you... When you've been with Dexterity, when you first started with Dexterity, when you were kind of at the end of your stint with Boston Dynamics. And what we've talked about before is how you love being part of transformational change. I think this has actually come up in both our conversations. You did drones when you were at DJI. You were working on Spot when you were at Boston Dynamics. So my first question is, what transformational change in the robotic space have you seen in the last two plus years that it's been since we've last had a conversation like this. Yeah, you know, Dexterity, the thing that was so exciting about Dexterity is that we are at the forefront of this next big change in mm-hmm. robotics and automation. With DJI and Boston Dynamics, a lot of that revolution was about mobility. Mm-hmm. That you're able to get automation into places that previously seemed inaccessible to robots, mm-hmm. whether it's through the air or you know rough terrain. Dexterity is at the forefront of robots that are able to manipulate the world in a way that we never really thought was possible with mm-hmm. robots. And manipulate meaning physically interact, touch, move things in the physical space. The idea of dexterity, which is combining multiple levels of intelligence so that a robot isn't just able to pick something up and drop it off, but problem solve and manipulate. And when it fails, it tries again and tries new approaches and can problem solve by stacking things uh, stably. That was still fairly new in the industry two two years ago. Mm -hmm. It's only this year 
this past year in 2023 that you're starting to see more and more companies starting to use that approach. Mm -hmm. Tesla, you know, you see some of the problems that they're trying to solve with Optimus. It's a lot of the same idea where you have an unstructured world that a robot not just needs to get through physically walking, uh, but then also needs to figure out what plant to water and how much to water it. And Mm -hmm. those decisions are a lot more complicated than what robots used to be able to do until now. Yeah. And and we just took a tour of your facility here in Redwood City, which we'll talk about in just a second, where I think one of the things that stuck out the most is we were watching robots load a truck. Right. And as we were watching that, you know, I was asking, why are the boxes being stacked the way that they are? And you described, what is it, a T? Well, how do you, what is the official term that you used for it? Yeah. You know, you do T-stacking, basically. T-stacking. Yeah. So you have two boxes that are together like this. And rather than loading columnar, mm-hmm. columnarly. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, box on top of box, box on top of box. Exactly. Singularly. When a truck starts and stops, boxes fall over. Right. If you got a really heavy box on top of the smaller box, that smaller box is going to get crushed pretty mm-hmm. easily. The nice thing about, you know, a nice T-junction of yeah. boxes, kind of brick layering That's the boxes. That's what I was going to say. It's like layering bricks, yeah, basically. Exactly. It's the same idea behind that where you're distributing the weight you're also creating a lot more stability so that when the truck starts and stops the wall doesn't collapse in on itself this is something that anybody who's loaded a truck has been trained to do it's part of the standard operating procedure for loading a a truck Mm -hmm. if you just give a robot a bunch of boxes and say stack this you know in the back of a truck as densely as possible they might Mm -hmm. go towards towards a columnar build of stuff but Knowing those requirements from the customer, we're able to train the AI to solve problems in this specific way. So it actually fits seamlessly within the customer's workflow. And one thing that kind of has has jumped out at me, having known Dexterity for a few years now, as we've been walking around your facility, this is a bit of an alternative startup location. Obviously, (laughs) the Bay Area is a perfect spot for a startup. Sure. You've kind of taken over a strip mall and you've now expanded into what was an old Kmart for your headquarters, your testing and engineering locations. Um, Let's just go over the different spots that make up (laughs) Dexterity HQ right now, because when we interviewed two and a half years ago, you had just gotten your Series B round. And I think it's always cool to see how companies have scaled Mm -hmm. during that time. In terms of just your physical presence here, you you started in an old auto shop, correct? And we're, I think, in an old dollar store where we're doing our interview right now. Right. And then we were in a Kmart. Is there another spot I'm missing? Like, wasn't there a soccer store or something in there? Yeah. And uh, this old soccer store where people used to get equipment specifically for indoor soccer. And it's it's kind of a bummer. Like, there you'll see families pull up and they'll be like, we're here to get shin guards. And we're like, wrong place they moved a few blocks down yeah the place that's right next to us used to be an an antique uh clock repair shop okay and uh which is kind of fitting because we're tinkering on some of our old robots in that space sure um so yeah i mean the the team has been expanding like crazy when we spoke the first time i think we were about 100 people yeah we're now pushing 260 all in with a wide variety of people across uh, the country uh, and across the world now in J- both Japan and Taiwan. So, 
you know, the team is growing like crazy. And and one thing I do want to also ask is, it, it's like what I came up, it, it it does not look like you're walking into a startup office until the door opens, right? Right. But you see the D on the door for dexterity. <laughs> it's like a startup speakeasy, I think is what we were calling it out here, which is very cool. Now, you talked about the people. We've talked about the physical space. Yeah. What's scaling looked like from what Dexterity is doing? What, what's that looked like over the past two years? We've been covering our bases so far, but let's talk about the company itself and the type of work you're doing at this stage. When we first started talking, we had initial success in uh, bread manufacturing distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, we picked bread packing as our first task because it was one of the hardest tasks that we could imagine mm-hmm. to stress the full scale of our robotic system. Mm-hmm. So in bread distribution, you're not just having to um, you know pick stuff up and drop it off. You need to pick things up delicately. Mm-hmm. You can't squish them. Like we've bread robots love to turn bread into pancakes. Sure. Um, and so our sense of touch is able to delicately pick up one, two, three loaves at a time place them into a tray and not just drop them, but like gently nudge them so that the tray space is occupied. And then you have fleets of robots that are all working together to get this job done. It's mm-hmm. not just one robot picking and placing it. You you have robots on a rail that are going up and down and they're coordinating with each other to figure out, you know, how they're not blocking each other and they're coming together to do bimanual manipulation. When mm-hmm. one thing, one robot can't pick something up, the two of them come together and they pick it up together. You know, all of those were complex pieces of Dexterity's AI platform okay. that was kind of our first build of all of these different vision systems, sensing systems for sense of touch, planning, uh, stacking, you know, all of these different components together. Now we've taken those individual pieces and have been able to say, okay, we're going to take this vision piece and this like dual robot collaboration piece, and we'll use this to induct packages kind of like what you saw yeah. where you have two robots that are working together to grab these messy flows of packages and get them onto a sorter belt at 2,000 picks per hour. Um, you're using that same stacking and tray optimization logic, kind of the next version of that to build pallets. And believe it or not, a lot of that same code is what we use to start figuring out how to load trucks. So you know you built this core of a technology that's now spreading out into all of these applications that really cover everything from the inbound to the outbound of a warehouse distribution cycle. What's really exciting though, is that, you know, that bread system is very bespoke to one customer and their particular challenges. The most exciting thing is starting to see these solutions being deployed at multiple customers who represent multiple industries. So we've got the same system with a retailer, a third-party logistics provider, mm-hmm. and a manufacturer. Yeah. And it's, you know, our, our palletizing, depalletizing system, it just drops in on a customer site. It's up and running about 48 hours. Because it doesn't require a lot of integration, it just kind of gets up and running and works and learns with the customer's system as it starts going into production and it's ramped you know, very quickly within a month to to their full production capacity. So you went from 
just bread packing to basically covering the what you said the entire inbound to outbound portion of like a warehousing and distribution operation and this was over the course of i mean this might have predated you a bit but what was the time frame from beginning to where we are now yeah uh rough is okay too yeah i think the first bread uh system was installed i think in 2020 Okay. So yeah, it's been about three and a half years in total. Still pretty quick. Yeah. That's a lot of progress over a relatively short period of time. But, you know, Chris, that that is, going back to that transformation question that you had, that is the transformation of using a software first approach to these problems. Yeah. So, you know, the hardware in a lot of ways um, is there. You know, you have ubiquitously available six degree of freedom robotic arms you have camera systems that have been you know somewhat harder to get a a hold of more recently you have gpus that are incredibly powerful incredibly affordable um suction pneumatic grippers force sensors all of these components are out there but using one software framework unlocking them really powers a a huge transformation in a really short amount of time. Yeah. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you looking for some manufacturing entertainment? Then you need to check out 3M's Clash of the Grinders Student Edition Competition, which you can do today by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M. This web series pits soon-to-be pros against each other in a showcase of the next generation of skilled trades talent, and it all culminates with the winner receiving a $10,000 scholarship sponsored by Fanuc. Throughout the series, you'll see the competition, manufacturing trends these emerging leaders will face in their careers, and how new innovations will help them work more efficiently and sustainably. 3M is committed to skilled trades education with a goal of creating 5 million STEM and skilled trade learning experiences, and this is part of that mission. Make sure to subscribe to 3M Abrasives on YouTube so that you don't miss a single new episode of Clash of the Grinders Student Edition. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M will take you right there. And now, back to today's episode. And another thing I wanted to ask you from one of our old conversations, because I do want to continue to talk about where Dexterity has gone, but I also want to go back in time a little bit. When we talked about your role at Boston Dynamics, you talked about how Spot, the famous quadruped dog that everyone in industry knows, was you originally betting Spot was going to be for like utility applications. Then it turned out it was good for manufacturing inspections. Sure. The reason I bring this story up is... Has there been something that surprised you over these past few years here at Dexterity um, about the technology you've been developing that's opened new doors? We just talked about some of the directions you've been going from bread packing all the way to where you are now. But are there other new things that came up along the way as you build out this solution for logistics and warehousing that maybe you didn't expect early on? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of all the things I can say. Um, <laughs> it's, so I, I think there's a there's a few things. One is the number of verticals where this type of technology is applicable it way exceeds our expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, we were originally thinking 
Uh, some manufacturers doing end-of-line uh, manufacturing, maybe uh, third-party logistics providers that are kind of that middle chunk, and then retailers who actually get stuff to customers. That's that's the full story. But as you start looking beyond the horizon there, there's a, a wide variety of verticals where something like this can really help companies with their material handling challenges. So I'll leave that a little bit ambiguous yeah, as a totally tease. Fair. We are in later. the heart of Silicon Valley startup world. I'm yeah. well aware we can't share every application, every customer that you're working on. It's part of the game. But <laughs> one of the things that's that's really interesting and exciting for me is seeing the transformation from a single task focused piece of automation. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take our uh, to to what we think of as a, a full task automation. So let's mm-hmm. take palletizing and depalletizing as an example. A single task piece of automation would be depalletizing. You grab something from a pallet and you move it to a conveyor. Mm-hmm. You grab something from a, a pallet and you move it to a conveyor. Okay, we, we've added this thing so that you can uh, ensure that your barcode scanning has your depalletizing. That's pretty cool. That, that adds like another piece of uh, the value equation there. Late last year, we introduced um, something uh, that we call our print and apply uh, solution, which is a task in a warehouse that requires one to three people depalletizing something. They put it on a conveyor or they just have a little gun and they'll you know attach a label to it and then they'll repalletize it. Mm-hmm. So that can be one to three people or three different tasks that a person is doing is depalletizing mm-hmm. all these things, applying a label and putting it on a pallet. Yep. We now have, because of our systems, flexibility to do both depalletizing and palletizing and do some of these other things in the middle, like barcode scanning or, or whatever. We've now created one robot system that depalletizes, applies a label, and then repalletizes, and it does it at basically, basically human parity in terms of speed. What's cool about that is it's moving. Now that that might sound like a pretty boring example, but what's cool about it is that it's three tasks that one robot is doing. So right. you would typically think of three robots plus yep. a conveyance system plus mm-hmm. all these different pieces of equipment trying to solve this problem together. Where it's you know one robot and a, a labeler, and that's your solution. Well, I think it goes back to your earlier comment about, hey, there are a lot of physical robotic solutions out there, but the reason the software development is so important right now is that you're now able to do something like three different tasks with one robot, where in the past it would have been, you know, three different robots doing that same one task over and over, maybe even more to this point when we were looking inside the truck earlier. You have robots that are leveraging an algorithm to figure out where the optimal spot to place a package is. So there's some decision making going on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you if you think about that task specifically, there you can solve that with a lot of quote unquote dumb automation where it's just doing what you tell it to do. And you could do that by saying every box is going to be this size, shape, and weight figure out a way to to stack it. Mm-hmm. You could do that that way. Um, but that requires a high amount of upstream optimization where you know every package 
for the 3,000 some odd packages that are going into the back of a trailer. Mm -hmm. That's great if you have that. Um, and some companies are investing into that type of full end-to-end -end, uh, automation transformation. But the vast majority of companies don't have that CapEx uh, to, to make that transformation. So how can you have robots kind of slot into your existing workflow without having to drop tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars? Yeah, well, let's talk about this a little bit more. I was going to ask you later, but in addition to your appearances on Manufacturing Happy Hour, your CEO and founder, Samir, has been on the show before, and he was talking about part of his mission has been to democratize robotics. Yeah. So let's talk about how you, know, you do work with a lot of large organizations, but how are you seeing robotics get further democratized since we were just on that train of thought a second ago? <laughs> yeah, great question. So a lot of our initial customers or customers that have been speaking about our work include some of the largest names in parcel distribution, um, retail. But the exciting thing for them is the same thing that's exciting for the industry as a whole, where you have a very flexible piece of automation that can slot into their existing workflow without them having to change what they do to accommodate automation. And, um, you know, if they need it in one site one week, another site the next, or even within the, the same shift, you know, it has that flexibility and mobility to, to get that done. What does that imply? That implies a much you know, shorter time of deployment, yes, but it also means a lot less upfront investment in all the infrastructure and, you know, software integration and all these other things that make it, are typically necessary to get a traditional piece of automation up right. and running on a customer site. That means also that we can start going to the brownfield sites for much smaller companies that don't you know, don't have the resources to invest tens of millions of dollars into an automation project. They can have a point solution that helps them with the single most painful task in their warehouse, and they can get that deployed within, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours, mm -hmm. rather than having to, you know, gut their, their warehouse and put something else in. So I'm hearing quick deployment as well as robots with flexibility are two of the big things yeah. that are making it more accessible to everyone. I'm going to totally switch gears on this conversation sure. for a bit. Putting on your marketing hat. You're wearing a hat today, so no, <laughs> no need to switch the actual I just hat. got off a plane, so <laughs> my hat hair you is terrible. You really did. I, I, got, <laughs> I mean, for context, I got here like five minutes before you did as I'm signing in, you're walking through the door as yeah. well. So I appreciate your level of ambition to jump on a podcast after flying from the East Coast to the West Coast. You have had a full day It's already. been worth it. It's <laughs> worth it. Well, well, the reason I want to switch gears is uh, because you're putting on your marketing hat, because you lead marketing here at Dexterity, how have you seen Dexterity develop more into a brand name in the industry since you started in 2021? That was one of the things you had talked about before where it's like, hey, I, I've worked for some companies where the brand name's already there. Yeah. But Dexterity, you were excited about going into the new frontiers and the applications. But I hadn't heard of Dexterity when I first talked to you. That was my first intro. But um, I'll share some of my thoughts on Dexterity's branding here in a little bit. This interview's not about me. I want to hear, how have you seen Dexterity's brand grow over the years? I think your opinion on this is much more important okay. than mine. Like okay. I, I, Chris, I don't know if you, you experienced this, but sometimes when you put something else out there, 
the worst thing you can do is flood the channel, your channels with information about it, because what you hear back is your own echo. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I, I have a perspective on Dexterity's brand and what, what we're, what we're hoping to achieve and how far we've achieved it so far. Uh, but more importantly, it's what do people, you know, your perception yeah. of it, I think is even more I'll, powerful. I'll, I'll, I'll bite. I mean, I think, I think it's great because as, like I said, I hadn't really come across Dexterity much in 2021 and granted Dexterity was pretty young back then. So I think there, there's no surprise there, but I feel like I keep seeing you around the industry, like on a regular basis. And I made the comment before about feeling like I was walking into a startup speakeasy because <laughs> you have such a, defi- you know, your letter D is pretty defined and obviously sure. the logo and the fonts aren't the main thing behind a sure. brand, right? But there's all these things at play that I continue to feel like dexterity is a key player in the robotics and warehousing game right now. That's that's my impression so far. I, I'm thrilled to hear it. Yeah, you know, it's been, it has been a challenge because both Boston Dynamics and DJI, it's the easiest cold call in the world. Sure. You're like, I'm from Boston Dynamics. Do you want to talk about robots? The answer is yes. That's and what the, it was like when I got the emails saying, someone from Boston Dynamics yeah. wants to be on your podcast. I'm like, yes, I will take that all day long. <laughs> so we're we're not in that space. And, you know, I, I've been thinking about this. Like, is that is that important for dexterity? And considering that we are very focused on executing with the resources that we have, the, the amount of investment that we have. We were talking about this before. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to be very judicious with what we have. It's less important to be out there in front of everybody. It's more important to be out in front of the right people. Agreed. And so we are trying to be a little bit more focused on building very custom awareness within the, the industry to the people that at least for now, are going to be benefit the most from our technology. You know, the hope is that that success then elevates the brand as a whole. Like we, you know, we're doing really cool stuff. We want the world to know about it. Yeah. But in the interim, it's more important for us to have the the people that could benefit from this technology now get excited about it. Wholeheartedly agree. It's about the right audience versus the biggest audience. You always want to be talking to the right people. And I think one, as someone that is a branding fan myself, I like that Dexterity is a one-word name <laughs> where it gives a pretty good impression of what you do yeah. when the right audience is hearing the name. It's like, oh yeah, de- you know, Dexterity for robots, right? You yeah. have a robot that, as of as the work you're doing around software allows robots um, to be to have more dexterity. Very simply put, right? Well, Chris. If you, uh... I appreciate that perspective. And if you talk to our engineers, that's how they think about it. But from my perspective, okay. what, what I hope we can engender is that you don't sell robots or software. We sell business outcomes. Right. And that business outcome is dexterity yeah. for companies. There you go. So that in their operation, they have the flexibility to do whatever task is most important to them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the business outcome that we want to give our customers is the dexterity to get the job done. I like that. If I if I had been smarter with my comments, I would have said business outcome <laughs> as well rather than just what the tech is doing. But let's let's put this in a wrapper for the manufacturing leaders that are listening out there, particularly the ones that are marketing minded, work in marketing, et cetera. Q3 
Can you share some advice or tactics that you feel have been helpful as a marketing leader yourself in continuing to build the brand of Dexterity over the past couple of years? I think your comment earlier about targeting the right audience is some great marketing 101 there. Anything else on your mind? Um, Chris, there's a revolution going on in AI that um, is uh, not just impacting warehouses, but it's impacting every single industry. Mm -hmm. And that's marketing and sales is is no exception. Mm -hmm. The powerful thing that I'm seeing, and, and again, if you're thinking about being targeted and focused in execution, it's no longer the spray and pray. Mm-hmm. Let's put out a message and just hope it works. Right. It's really understanding your customer and creating a custom experience of your mm-hmm. brand for them. So, um, you know, we can create messaging materials, microsites, um, emails, you know, internal newsletter f- for specific customers that give them information about how we can help them mm-hmm. and s- help them solve their problems. We can empower our internal champions at these companies to go tell the rest of their organization what a great partner we are to mm-hmm. help them solve their problems. You know, if you had asked me this, I'd say five years ago, a lot of the distribution arms are there. Like distributing information mm-hmm. is very, is no friction at all. But creating the, that individual piece of content mm-hmm. was very hard. Yeah. And now you have the flexibility to say, here is how this is applicable to you. Let's show this in your workflow. Yeah. Let's create a um, custom site that shows you everything that's most important to you as a company that we offer and stack rank it based on your priorities. Mm-hmm. And let me give that to you so that you can be empowered to go tell our story. Yeah, yeah. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. Do you build control panels? Do you want to reduce your overall project time by 59%? Then you should check out ePlan because that's exactly what Automated Drive Systems, ADS, did when they partnered up with them. ePlan is helping companies like ADS create standardized processes for more efficient engineering. That's because ePlan is more than your typical CAD software and is ideal for creating electrical schematics and panel layouts. When ADS needed to become a leaner operation, ePlan standardized their creation of electrical schematics and panel layouts, and the data from ePlan fed directly back to equipment that automates both panel wiring and enclosure modification. It even creates 3D digital twins of panels so you can visualize the configuration and design before building the real thing. So, if you're building panels and you too are trying to run lean while reducing your design and build times like ADS did, then go to manufacturinghappyhour.com ePlan to learn more. And while you're at it, don't miss episode 132 featuring our full-length interview with their well-traveled solutions architect, Sean Mulherin. He's got some good stories, but for now, it's time to get back to today's episode. So I, I wanted to ask you about AI in general, uh, more specific to dexterity, but I'll, I'll ask you around marketing as well. Have you, have, you, have you found AI tools to be helpful in your marketing efforts? I have the blinking cursor problem, Yeah, which is blank spa- page, 
and you're just staring at it and you don't know how to get started. Yeah. You know, I think with um, AI, you get a great, not even a great first draft. It, like sometimes it's, you just rewrite everything. <laughs> yeah. But you, you start from a standpoint of I'm switching to my editing brain. Yeah. Then my creating brain. Right. And my creating brain and my critical brain are often too much in conflict to, to get things done quickly. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to scale something like, you know, custom messaging for people or heck even writing a press release, right. That blinking cursor problem can take up a lot of time that can otherwise be used actually getting something done. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, that's one core piece of uh, the AI puzzle that's been most beneficial to me. I don't know. Have you, have you used it much? I have. I've been playing around with it. I like, I look at it as an, an idea generator. I think, you know, if I think of a podcast episode, sometimes I'm just thinking, staring at like the, the, this, the blinking cursor. I've never heard of that. I'd never heard that specific term before, but it makes a lot of sense. That's going to be a simple thing. I take away from this, but I have the blinking cursor issue when I'm trying to think of a podcast episode title right. a lot of times, especially if it's one that I recorded three weeks ago yeah. and my own fault did not just go and write all the stuff like immediately <laughs> following the interview. I can save a lot of time when I do that and I usually have a fresh idea then, but when I'm trying to recall something three weeks later, long story short, yes, I do have the blinking cursor challenge from time to time as well and I've been leveraging AI tools to help get past that a lot quicker and come up with ideas. And, you know, I, I think you brought up a great point. Sometimes you have to go through and edit the whole darn thing again because it, it does feel like a little robotic. Yeah. I'm being intentional about using that word in this interview, but it feels like it's kind of just very standard and things like that. And you got to go through and touch it up. But it is much easier to do that editing than creating in some of those cases. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it helps you uh, at the end of the day do more and create at least in our world, uh, very custom experiences. So let's talk about AI in the context of dexterity yep. a little more directly. How is that undoubtedly playing into your solution and development these days? Yeah, you know, it has always been a core piece of dexterity stack. We're, mm -hmm. Our website is dexterity.ai for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because we're you using artificial intelligence to solve a lot of problems. But importantly, you know, if you talk to Samir, you talk to our, our founding engineers, they'll all tell you that it's not a silver bullet in and of itself. There's a lot of very, it works really well in conjunction with some traditional controls work with some very standard, um, you know, computer vision uh, approaches. You know, there, there's all of these different pieces that, when you start pulling them together, mm -hmm. they can solve really complicated problems. Like uh, you saw our palletizing robot mm -hmm. where, you know, you have random boxes being presented to the robot and it's needing to figure out how to stack them into a nice pallet. Um, but it doesn't know what box is coming to it until it arrives. And it's able to take big boxes, small boxes and create a nice, neat pallet. Now, part of that's a, a visioning problem where you're trying to dimension the box and dimension the palette and figure out where there's empty places. Part of that's a force control problem when you're picking something up, understanding how heavy it is, mm -hmm. how much force to put it um, uh, on the palette, how much force to like, 
apply when you're kind of nestling boxes together, making sure you're getting nice density. All these things that the human touch has traditionally been very helpful for. A hundred percent. And, you know, if you just use one of those approaches, which is kind of how we've seen AI deployed until fairly recently, where it's just like, well, I've got an algorithm for figuring out how to stack things, Mm -hmm. but then you don't have the vision component or the sense of touch or... You're not talking directly to the motor controllers on the robot arm so that you can translate from the conveyor to the pallet with the the smoothest motion Mm -hmm. possible. Like all of those pieces have to be in concert together Mm -hmm. to get the job done in a way that's fast, efficient, and, you know, um, know, at human parity. Yeah. So let's say we're at Bear Bottle having a beer when someone describes... How are you leveraging AI in your robotic software and solutions for warehouses? What is your one sentence? <laughs> oh man, I just want to put a summary around yeah, it. I, I don't know sorry. if I can do a good job myself. Yeah, <laughs> it's no that that's um that's a good question. You know, I, I think we use multiple approaches in AI to solve the sense, think, move set of problems that a robot needs to to do in order to tackle very complex problems. That's getting turned into a quote, by the way. That was a great one sentence <laughs> answer. And I feel like I might've cut you off because I feel like you might've had a follow-up to that, but that made a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's perfect. You know, from, from our perspective, sensing, you know, you're looking at the world, you're touching the world, you're getting additional sensor information from other sensors that might be distributed in the warehouse. You have um, the thinking, got to figure out, you know, uh, how to stack these things and, you know, problem solve this, looking for empty slots, and then moving, you know, figuring out how to translate this as smoothly and efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. So those are three levels of intelligence that if you just tackle one, you, you're probably part of the way there to yeah. getting something useful done. But if you're really looking at human parity, human level of flexibility, you really need all three to be working together. Yeah. No, I think that's that's an excellent way to put it all together. And it, you know, for for context, I'm really starting to ask all of my guests how AI is impacting their business from a practical standpoint. Because you know, I know it's going to evolve very quickly. Technology is going to continue to change. AI is going to continue to get better and better and better. Yeah. And I try to keep some like element of timelessness to each podcast episode. Mm. But I can't ignore where we are in this particular point in time. And I love how you simplified that for for the audience out there. As we start to wrap up, what are you excited about? What are some of the upcoming launches, developments that you have on the table here at Dexterity that you'd like to give the audience maybe a little preview to as well? So we we have a few things uh, cooking that you'll see from us throughout the year. I think... One of the key things is our palletizing, depalletizing system, it just continues to grow in its capabilities. And we'll be showing some really cool new capabilities of that system at Modex this year. It's truly phenomenal what the team has put together. But earlier, when we first started the, the podcast, we were talking about the breakthroughs in mobility and the breakthroughs through manipulation or touching things. Mm-hmm. And I think the next big breakthrough that you'll see more of, and we've started teasing that with our truck loader, is mobile manipulation. Okay. So one robot system that's able to do 
a wide variety of tasks within the warehouse um, at different points, uh, it, you know, whether it's station A, station B, station C, or maybe station A is one task, whereas station B is another task. And that same robot can handle some of that, that challenge. I think that's really where the next big breakthrough in our industry will be. And, you know, Dexterity's approach here is game-changing. Well, I'm glad we got that that part covered in today's conversation. I'm excited to see what's coming out throughout the year. For uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are catching it like mid-Q1 or so of 2024. But, um, I mean, at the rate we're going, you'll be on the podcast here another year or two. <laughs> so, you know, we'll have plenty of time for an update at that point. I, I got to ask, is there anything you wish I would have asked you that did not come up in today's conversation? No, I, I, I think that's a, I guess... The other big change since you and I spoke last okay. was um, we were a little bit cryptic about some of the deployments that we had oh, with our right. customers. Yes, yes. Uh, but you know, now that the cat's out of the bag, where you know FedEx announced some of the work that we're doing together on our truckloader together, uh, Sagawa, which is mm-hmm. one of the largest parcel companies in Japan, um, announced our, that they're doing something very similar with our truck uh, loading program. Um, UPS announced their, their work together with us for small package induction and sortation, uh, and VF Corp, which makes Supreme and North Face, um, is using our palletizing and depalletizing system. That's kind of the, just the tip of the iceberg though, mm-hmm. with these, um, deployments, you know, with partners and, uh, collaborators in the industry. The other big change is, you know, so we've been focusing on deploying with these, large customers and working directly with them. But as you were talking about democratizing Mm -hmm. the technology, one of the challenges that we've had is making sure that we as Dexterity can give this white glove, totally immersive, soup to nuts experience of getting set up and deployed on a customer site. Um, In the last year, a big focus of ours has been how we can enable an ecosystem of partners, yeah. traditional si- system integrators, um, companies like Dematic, DCS, um, JR Automation, mm-hmm. who already have the experience working together with companies in the space. Oh, yeah. And they can get up and running with a dexterity system on a customer site without necessarily having dexterity need to be there, shoulder and arm with them together. And what's really powerful of that is that that expands the number and profile of the companies that we can work together and help enable with our technology. And that's really exciting. What I like about that is, I mean, partnerships come up a lot, whether we're talking about robotics, whether we're talking about building like your smart manufacturing ecosystem, everyone that's a part of it. I love hearing it from the startup perspective of how we talked about scaling throughout this conversation, right? This is going to be one of the next things that allows you to scale by having those players in the warehousing space, you just rattled off a bunch of them that are able to, you know, start deploying solutions on your behalf, if yeah. I'm saying this the right way. Like, yeah. that'll be, that's a super cool thing to see play out. I know when I go back to listen to this episode for our follow-up, whenever that may be, <laughs> we're going to be talking about that. So Awesome. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time. It's good to hang out here in the Bay with you. Likewise. Uh, thanks for doing this right after making the trip. Hopefully you get some shut-eye before our party tomorrow. So. Absolutely. Cool. Chris, thanks for having me again, and I'll see you at the fourth time. Cheers. 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 
Hey, thanks for listening. As always, if you want to learn more, check out the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 173. There you can connect with Michael. There you can link up with Dexterity. And of course, you can check out Bear Bottle Brewing. I've got a link there. I'm not kidding. It is one of my favorite breweries in San Francisco. We did throw an excellent party there just over a month ago. And by the way, just like the San Francisco event, we are having more events through Manufacturing Happy Hour. Keep an eye out for those. Some of the ones that are coming up in 2024, if you're listening at that time, it includes our first ever multi-city tours in the spring and summer. We'll be hitting up a number of cities across the Midwest and beyond for those. We will definitely be hosting an event at this year's Automate Show in Chicago, Illinois. Again, that's the week of May 6th through 9th. You heard about that at the start of the episode. And then finally, if you want to team up with Manufacturing Happy Hour for an event, send an email to info at manufacturinghappyhour.com with the subject line events, and let's have that conversation. By the way, one more final plug for Automate 2024. You just heard me talking about it. You heard me saying that there's going to be an event there, but there's so much more you want to check out. First, register for free by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2024. That's step one. It's going to be the biggest event they've ever hosted. A3, the Association for Advancing Automation, they're the group behind it, and they are also the group behind one of the strongest communities in the manufacturing space. That's why I love attending this event. There's a ton to learn. I'm going to be part of the team doing live interviews at the event. So if you want to be a part of those, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2024. You can get info on how to sign up for Automate Live as well. Anyway, with that, I'm going to say, hey, if you want to be part of my community, the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community, Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community to join our group. That group is on LinkedIn. It's a private group. It's where you can connect with other go-getters in the manufacturing space. Would love to have you there. Of course, I'd love to see you in person at Automate 2024 at any of the events we're doing in 2024 and beyond because I know some of you are probably listening to this episode way down the line when you catch it later. Anyway, with that, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and I look forward to catching you again next week. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.